As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Paul Tenorio, joined once again by my friend and colleague, Sam Staple, <laughs> who is back from vacation, back from definitely listening to Allocation Disorder while lying on a hammock in Hawaii. Definitely. Sam, how good was it to... to I, I think I did like a quick video Allocation Disorder when Gareth Bale was signed, and I'm sure that was the first thing that you tuned into uh, upon getting to the beach. Uh, yeah, definitely the first thing I did. No, uh, Paul, I actually did not learn of, of the Gareth Bale signing until Wednesday. We're recording here on Thursday afternoon. Um, I, I was, I, that was the day I got back from vacation and that was the day I plugged back in. Uh, I was joking around with some people that it was, I think the proudest accomplishment of my entire career that that news did not break through my, the protective bubble that I had set up around myself. Sam, that's impressive. That trip. I mean, yeah. I've unplugged before on vacations, but you know, I've been tempted to go onto the internet. You know, like I, I, there, there's that's a whole <laughs> different level of unplugging. Yeah, I mean, I changed my my Twitter password so I couldn't log back in without like going through like several different steps to something completely. I have no idea what I changed it to. To this day, I had to rechange <laughs> it again. Um, that was like the first thing I did. So, so yeah, it was a very restive trip. Certainly, and, and definitely got away from soccer for a bit, which was positive. Although I did see um, from a poolside bar a few minutes of Philadelphia Union versus NYCFC on FS1, sitting next to, in fact, a cup of a father and son who were wearing Philly Union hats. Um, no shirts; they were just in bathing suits, <laughs> but they were wearing Philly Union hats. So I, I. I sprinted away from those people as quickly as possible. I said, I'm on vacation. Get me out of here. No, I'm kidding. Um, so that was my one, my one MLS adjacent thing that I experienced. But, um, so I didn't learn about Gareth Bale. I didn't, I didn't even sit in a hammock actually. I don't know if there were any hammocks around, but, um, I did not listen to your video hit or podcast that you did with Pablo. Whatever was great. I'm sure whatever lie you have to tell yourself, we all know. We all know that you were in a hammock listening to allocation. There, I wish I was Probably in a hammock. Repeat. There were no hammocks. You got to I mean, bring you your own. BYO can you at least believe H. me on that on that front? Bring your own hammock. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that okay. you got away. I'm sad that you didn't, you know, get some hammock time. Everyone should have some hammock time on vacation. 
Uh, that's just a personal policy. I also wasn't, I had a couple of days off. I, I did not have a hammock. Um, but, you know, regardless. Okay. So you, you, you get back yesterday. You, you, yeah, a lot happened on Twitter. A lot happened. You see Gareth Bale. What is your yeah. reaction? I was, first of all, I was like, whoa, okay. And my, honestly, my first reaction was good job self for not letting this break through but my my second reaction was was like all right this is interesting and then i see that it's a tam deal you know the initial reaction is you just sort of assume he would be a dp um but if he is engaged and if he is healthy him and vela on opposite wings is a pretty potent combination um so lafc already perhaps the best team in the league getting stronger by a significant amount um i'm curious to see what it looks like you know you never really know what it's what's how guys are going to integrate into teams when they, especially when they arrive in the middle of the season, you don't really know how the older guys who have done so many things in Europe, like Bale has winning however many champions leagues he won with Real Madrid and starring in the premier league with Tottenham before that. Um, you never really know how engaged they're going to be. I would assume that Bale will be very engaged at least for the first few months um, as he sort of, gears up for the world cup with Wales, well he, where he'll be facing the USMNT of course um but i am curious paul you know and this was a thought that popped into my head when you get to october and november playoff time and he's just a couple of weeks away from joining wales for their pre-world cup camp how hard is he going to be going and i think it's a question every team in the world faces I, you know, I was speaking with um, a couple sources actually overseas. Those are questions that are being asked in the Premier League. You know, real sure, concerns but about- but how hard are they going to be going in a, a league game in November versus or October or, or versus a, a single elimination playoff yeah. match? Right, when the you stakes look, are higher for sure. When you look though at the way the the race happened last year in the Premier League between Liverpool, yeah, and yeah every point matters. Every those point matters. matter, but yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting question. I think a lot of teams in MLS will be asking that, and and certainly. Again, to certain different degrees, you know, it's going to be it's it's what's so unique about this World Cup. Um, there are a lot of people, you know, who are going to be wary of picking up even a slight injury that could knock yeah. them off for the whole group stage. Yeah. Considering if you get hurt on the 14th for a two week injury, you're out you of the just, World Cup. Yeah. And, and that would be massive, especially for a country like Wales, a player like Gareth Bale who hasn't been in the World Cup from a Wales perspective in, what, 50-plus oh, years, and Bale, who's never played in one in his career, and this is kind of the final big thing that he needs to check off on his resume. So I'm, I'm curious in that, Paul, we, we are going to talk about another team, though, at yeah. length, one that doesn't have to worry about their big signings playing at the World Cup, <laughs> um, and that is Toronto FC. Uh, huge moves over the last, I guess, six months, really, um, if you wind it all the way back to when Lorenzo Insigne was announced, um, he will be joining the team or he has joined the team already. He will not be debuting this weekend because he has already picked up an injury that will keep him out until at least July 23rd. So says the club. Um, looks like he's going to be joined by his Italian international teammate, uh, Federico Bernadeschi, uh, joining on a free transfer from Juventus, according to multiple reports. That would be a massive move. Player in his prime, 28 years old, not a regular necessarily with Juve, uh, but somebody who's a massive talent. And certainly if he is engaged and if he is healthy, could do a significant amount of damage in MLS. In order to facilitate that signing, TFC shipped Alejandro Pozuelo out, traded him to Inter Miami 
for $150,000 in general allocation money. Uh, Carlos Salcedo reportedly, and according to what I've been told as well, could be on the move out as well. Uh, another designated player who only joined, what, five months ago? In a yeah. swap for Jefferson Soteldo from Tigres. So huge comings and goings for TFC uh, and, and kind of a lot to unpack here. So what's what's your initial reaction, Paul, to these moves, uh, both in terms of how they could shape TFC who are struggling on the field, but also in terms of kind of like what they say about this club and just kind of roster building and how they approach it in general? Well, I think, you know, the best way to put it to censor myself a little bit is that it just shows that Toronto has FU money. Like that, like actually literally in this case, and that they're they're just kind of lighting money on fire and and in order to build to rebuild a roster on the go, which is what they're doing. I mean, to be shipping out DPs in trades for almost nothing in the middle of a season in order to bring in new DPs. I mean, this is this is roster rebuilding in the course of a season and aggressively doing so. And, and, and the fact that Salcedo's on the block, I think, shows even more that this is adjustment on the fly. Because he was signed just five months ago, I think it shows that there is a change in mindset, a change in belief of how this roster should be built, a, a, a recognition that they don't have the right pieces and that a complete overhaul is necessary. And, you know, they have the money and the ownership that's, that are willing to do it, that are willing to take these losses in order to get it right. And, you know, we talked about this, Sam, at the beginning of the season, that Toronto, you know, is, is kind of doing the most that they can do in this current model. And the only place that you can spend money is on really, well, I guess now with the U22 slot, is DPs. And so, you know, they could be paying, they're paying Insignia $15 million. He counts $612,000 against the cap. The rest yeah. of it is just ownership. What do they care to spend? So, you know, in this, we're, we clearly see that they don't mind taking losses in order to try to get back into MLS Cup winning ways. And and that's what stands out to me about this is, I mean, look, let's let's talk about that Salcedo move. That was a swap of, yeah. of players, but that's a player that cost them, what, $7 million? Sotelda, no, something like that. Oh, Sotelda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sotelda. I was like, no, it was a right. swap. And that's who they uh, yeah, for, cost so that $7 million. And, and he was there a year. And this has sort right. of been the pattern with TFC. And that's sort of what I want to dive into here. On the one hand, these moves are incredibly ambitious and aggressive. And I think that they sort of fit a plan, clearly, that they have going forward, right? You can play Bernadeschi and Insigne on opposite wings. You have a forward and Jimenez who can who can split them up top, and it fits kind of more of a 4-3-3 that Bob Bradley likes to play that we saw with LAFC. Moving Pozuelo out, he's like an old school number 10, also helps facilitate that. So I think these these moves do make sense from an on-field standpoint, not just in terms of how talented these players are, but in terms of how they fit. So I think that's really important. On the other hand, you know, you mentioned the FU money and lighting money on fire. Like this. I don't think they had that level of cohesion with their previous moves, right? And we can wind this all the way back, right? Posuelo, he comes in and he did really well in 19 and 20, winning MVP, and, and then had a rough 2021 and has had decent numbers so far this year. Um, but losing him for 150,000 in GAM after, after, I mean, 
paying so much money for him. <laughs> it's and I get his contract was going to be up at the end of the year, so you have to you have to send him somewhere that that wants him, and you're not going to be able to get much for him because he's in the final few months of his deal. But could they have sold him to somebody in say the Middle East last year for eight figures or close to eight figures potentially? And, and so things like that, things like the Josie Altitor new contract that was signed. Oh, when was that, Paul? 2020. Yeah, it was two years ago. Um, you know, and, and that was an eyebrow raiser at the time. We obviously know what happened with Josie there, and it was not a pretty ending, ending it with a buyout, him moving to New England, you know, all the way back to Pablo Piatti as a DP, who was who was pretty underwhelming for them, I believe, also in 2020, if I'm getting my years correct. Um, those sorts of moves don't really indicate much, much long-term thinking or vision or planning. I think that has started to change, it appears, with these more recent moves. But you sort of look at Toronto and, and, and the amount of money they've spent over the years and the returns that they've gotten for it, both where they are, where they were last year, where they are now. Obviously, there's, they're rebuilding, but they're low in the Eastern Conference standings. And I think it's been relatively underwhelming. I, I am curious to see how these moves pan out. You know, I always say if engaged and healthy, but if engaged and healthy, I think these two will be great. These two Italians will be fantastic. And, and TFC probably will start rising up the standings and they'll start putting more butts in the seats. I don't know if that will be enough for them this year, particularly if they don't sort out their defensive issues. Uh, but longer term, you can start, sort of start to see it come together. And I think that's kind of the play here is longer term. Not necessarily in terms of these two players, but... You know, they've talked about wanting to expand BMO Field. They have to before the World Cup in 26 in order to host games there. And if you're going to expand it, you want to pack it out. You want to fill it. If you're going to do that, you got to be good. And you have to be interesting. <laughs> and so they're they're on a path towards that now. Um, but man, these moves just kind of, to me, highlight what appears to be a little bit of a lack of long-term thinking in their prior moves. Yeah. You know, and, and, well, and that's interesting. I think I think certainly we can we can say that you know when you look at Greg Vanny's departure, surprising departure from Toronto FC at the time, you know they, there was belief. I, I don't remember if I reported this or not, but there was belief that that deal was done for Vanny to return to Toronto, and then he left. And and you know, yeah, the think, financial terms were worked out. Right. Like, I think a part of it was power. Right. That who's going to be making these decisions? I think that was pretty much part all of it. it. Yeah. And and you, can you? you see, you see what's happened in LA where Vanny has sort of gotten that power now. Right. Exactly. And, 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 but I think part of that is not just wanting the power, but there's probably dissatisfaction with that lack of vision, that lack of planning and, and trying to create a power structure that is both trying to put together a team that's ready in the short term to, to compete, but with an eye on the long term. And, you know, there is, there are aspects of this season that I think will pay off in the long term for Toronto and in, in the number of minutes that are going to young homegrown players. I think you, you're going to take your lumps when that happens. But if those players continue to develop and, you know, they can utilize these minutes played this year to, to hasten their development for next year and beyond. And so you do see the eye on the future right away from Bob Bradley coming in and, and trusting all these young players to play and understanding, Hey, we're going to be rebuilding this. Let's at least get, some of these young guys on the field instead of older pros who, who we're probably going to be moving yeah. on from. So that to me shows like to your point, Sam, right away, 
some of that long-term planning, right? Okay, let's let's start to develop some of these players. But do you I think, think that's long-term planning, or just the I, case where they don't have any other choices? No, I, I think it is long-term. You do you always have choices. I mean, look around at, at teams in MLS historically who have homegrowns on the field on, on the team, but are playing, you know, veterans who are making yeah. two hundred thousand, yeah. who you're going to move on from at the end of the season. You know, I can point to so many different examples of, of guys, journeymen that go on the field at late in games when you're losing and you should be playing the 17-year-old or 16-year-old. Sure. Some teams are great at well, I think, that. I think it's a little not. bit of both. Like, credit to them for actually doing it. But right. they didn't give themselves a whole lot of other options. For sure. But when you come in and you survey that roster, you say, okay, you know, we're going to play these young guys. And then now, boom, right away, we're making adjustments. And I think Credit, I guess, in some ways to ownership for signing off on this. Not a lot of owners would eat this kind of money. No. Um, I think big credit to ownership for signing yeah, off. Yeah, and, and I also want to say credit to Chris Henderson in Miami for, for doing this Pozuelo deal. You're, you're basically getting a try and buy here, right? You, you, can, you can show him what you have in Miami. You can see how he fits in the team. You take on his cap pit and his money for half of a season but you're only giving out 150 in GAM. Besides that, you had the DP spot open. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for a team that's restricted in a lot of ways to to try out a good player. And these are the deals that in MLS can make a difference, really make a difference for you. And and I I think it shows Chris Henderson's experience in Seattle, frankly, that he was a guy willing to take on a half season loan, essentially of a player in hopes that maybe it could turn into something more fruitful. I'm glad you brought up Miami because I think this is actually a very interesting contrast with Toronto. Because you talk about like kind of a lack of long-term planning and just sort of going after the big name and spending a ton of well, that's what Miami did, right? And in, the Galaxy in, before them too, in right? 2020 and in 2021, and we saw what happened with them with Matuidi and, and kind of how everything blew up on them. And you see what's happening now; they're not great. I think this Pozuelo move fits a need for them, a, a pretty significant one in, in terms of a playmaker. But they have been, I think, a lot better than I expected them to be and most people expected them to be. They're in the playoff hunt in the Eastern Conference. Three points out with a game in hand on basically everybody in front of them. Um, and, and so they're right there in the mix and maybe Pozuelo can take them over the top. But you look at them and you look at Toronto and Toronto is lower than them in the standings. You know, obviously they've had a lot more success than inner Miami has, but they've had a rough couple of years as well. They're rebuilding their team on the fly. Um, but you just look, and I hate to belabor this point, but Miami, it seems now is building kind of for the long term, setting themselves up for massive flexibility this winter. Maybe they get messy next year. Who knows? Um, and, and then they can really f- take off and, and fly. And Toronto, I think, is doing that kind of on the fly, but I think they're having to do it on the fly because of a couple of years of mistakes in terms of team building and in terms of who the hired right. head coach and in terms of front office structure and all of these things. And a lot of these moves and a lot of these misses I think are illustrations of that. So on the one hand, absolutely huge credit to Toronto FC and their ownership and their leadership for being ambitious and actually going after these sorts of players and being willing to, to kind of admit mistakes and still spend a ton of cash and, and continue to push. So credit to them on that front, but also like part of me is like, why can't you just be like more efficient with the money that you do have and the resources that you do do have, and you should be so much better than you are considering how much money and how much you've put into this. And I think it's a little damning that they're not, yeah. um, but you know, they seem to be on a better path now. We'll and see how these moves. We'll work see. Out. 
we'll see, Sam. I mean, I think it'll be interesting partly because the sporting director is also the head coach. And there aren't yeah. very many of those scenarios nope. left in Major League Soccer. I mean, and unique to Toronto, their assistant coach is their technical director. Right. So that's sort of what I wanted to highlight. You think about the, the other situations where those, the head coach is the sporting director. You have Vermees in Kansas City, but Brian he's got Bliss. Brian Bliss, who has been a head coach and a general manager in MLS before. In New England, Bruce Arena, he has Kurt Anolfo. Same thing. Been a head coach and a general manager in MLS before. Uh, am I missing anybody? On that front, I mean, I no, guess I mean the only Greg other Vanny one that's not a sort of Greg Vanny, sort of. He's got Jovan Karofsky, who's been in that front office a long time, for uh, better or worse, yeah. for better or worse. And then the only one that's kind of unofficially there, I guess, is Adrian Heath in Minnesota, and he's yeah. got Mark Watson, who's a longtime MLS player and assistant coach, right. who's now who moved off the staff to be a full time right. technical director. Where at Toronto, you have Mike Sorber, who is both. And, and that's a little bit interesting. You know, they have Jason Hernandez up there doing doing some stuff as well, but he's inexperienced in terms of that role, um, having recently retired as a player. So, yeah, I think a lot of questions, and I still think a lot of rebuilding and retooling to do for Toronto, both on the field and off the field, in terms of their front office and their entire technical staff. Um, so it's, it's just interesting. MLSE, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment just willing to light money on fire. <laughs> now, this is small potatoes for them when you think about the Raptors. Um, these salaries are not small potatoes for them when you think about the Leafs, but the Maple Leafs, according to our good buddy Josh Cloak and according to anyone that knows anything about hockey in Canada, uh, they rake in the cash, the Leafs, yeah. no pun intended. Um, so, you know, they can afford to do things like this. I think it's good that they are doing things like this, but you also hope that they can fine-tune their process a little bit so that they can be a little bit more efficient. They should be better, and they should be a leading team for MLS, considering how much money they've spent, and they have not been that in a couple of years now. Before we move on from the segment, Sam, one last question at the rock here. You are an MLS GM at pretty much any other team in the league. You have an open I am? You, you have an open DP <laughs> spot. Are you interested in trading for Carlos Salcedo, taking that number on, no. taking him out as a center back? No, he's been disappointing. And and to be fair, there, it does seem like there are some family issues at play here. You know, Bob Bradley, I think it was last week, said he was not with the team and, and was in Mexico, I believe, um, dealing with some family stuff. So that could be I mean, part sure. of the reason for, yeah. for why they're they're looking to possibly move him. But he's on what? Let me pull up his salary right now. I think he's on $2.5 million. About $2 million. $2.35 million. Um that's a lot of money to spend on a center back. If you're going to spend that much money on a center back, he needs to be basically the best center back in the league or one of right there. And Salcedo has not been that. I think he has the ability to be that, but that's a lot of money to take on. And if I'm spending a DP spot, I don't think I'm doing it on a center back. So no, what about you? I'm the same way. I mean, there are some teams where, again, I thought the Walker Zimmerman deal made sense for Nashville because of what Walker Zimmerman was in Nashville and the fact of how they spend their money in general. Yeah, but the, even that, you could argue, did they have to give him that money? They right. probably could have made him max Tam. You look at that and you say, okay, I, I get where you're going here. I think it's difficult to trade for a player like Salcedo into that role. Right. Unless you know what he's going to be. And especially when you look at like Chiellini coming in on a Tam deal, like you can go get talented center backs for cheaper than that. And, yeah. and, and, Certainly, Salcedo hasn't done anything in the first half of the season to kind of justify the money. So no. it'll be interesting. I would expect, if you're shopping him around the league, I would expect to find more buyers in Mexico for Salcedo, who played well 
in Liga Mekis for the most part. I know he had kind mm-hmm. of like a rough ending somewhat, but he kind of came back onto a, an upward curve with Tigres before he moved to Toronto. So yeah. I, I bet you there's, there's interest in Mexico for him. The matter, the very good, is how much money, you very get. good history at Chivas as mm-hmm. well. Won a title there. Uh, and if you're looking for a team to offload a Mexican player to Chivas is always one that's going to be in the mix because of their Mexican player only policy. So maybe that's a destination for him. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe Salt Lake. Maybe he returns back to the to his academy home where you know he spent six months in Arizona, and then anyway, it doesn't matter. The third or fourth best center back on that roster apparently for a while. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, and they had some good center backs out there. Anyway, we digress. We'll come back after the break. Some Tyler Adams to Leeds talk. Some Zach Steffen on the move and USMNT goalkeeper chatter, and then we'll get to your questions. Stay with us. Allocation disorder. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam's still partly in vacation mode. He likes yeah, it when I'm hosting. He, I he, do. Less work for me. More pianos for him to carry. I'm just tickling back, the ivories over here. Coming back from the segment is not really hosting. You know, I feel like your hosting wow. instincts take over once the segment really gets. Paul, as so. the guy that brings us back from like 95% of the segments in this show's history, like maybe just stop talking about what you don't know about. Okay. I'm just saying you're going to do, do that. Maybe do the whether reporting. You, whether first. you think I'm hosting or not, I can come back from commercial all we want, but whatever you're, you're pretty much still the host of the show. And I'm just here along. Maybe, the maybe not. Maybe this is a permanent shift. Yeah, okay. Everything's on the table. Well, everything's on the table. And you know what? Uh, I don't know how to transition out of that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe I, am gonna, maybe I am going to bring us back. <laughs> yeah, I tried, I tried to have a nice segue to Tyler Adams to Leeds, and I just fell short. See? Yeah, you I'm did. I'm just trying to prove to you that you you're are intentionally the throwing this. this. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'll take over from here. Uh, earlier this week, Tyler Adams completed his move from Red Bull Leipzig to Leeds. Paul, you're going to have to fill me in on the amount of money because I forgot because <laughs> I wasn't prepared to host, but someone dropped the ball entirely. I believe it was for what? $24 million all in. Yeah, um, but that, that's including, I want to make clear here. That is including all add-ons that can be achieved over the course of the deal. A right. lot of the reporting initially was that the upfront deal would be somewhere around 12 to 14 million dollars and that there were add-ons that could take it above that fabrizio romano um is the one who reported it ended up being 24 million dollars 20 million pounds including the add-ons um but we don't know what the triggers are to get to those add-ons what performance bonuses might exist so somewhere in that range of let's call it between you know 14 and 24 million dollars um is where this will will land um and, it's a big and range 
it's it's a big range because that's what happens with add-ons and the way that they, they like to split things up. And and I think we all know that there's accounting that happens um, for, for fair play. We all know, we all know about accounting. We all well, know about it. Um, you know. But anyway, this is a reunion, Paul. And it's an it's the continuation of an American invasion of Leeds, England. Uh, obviously, Adams is joining Brendan Aronson, who moved there this summer. And he's joining Jesse Marsh, his former coach in New York. He's also joining Chris Armis, another one of his former coaches in New York. Uh, also joining Jack Harrison, his former rival in the Hudson River Derby. On the other side of that, Harrison, of course, was once upon a time with New York City FC. Um, so what do you make of this move for Adams leaving Leipzig where he didn't really play much after Marsh was dismissed, left the club last fall, um, and, and didn't have a great season? Certainly not the one he was hoping for in Germany. Well, I think for that reason, I kind of feel two ways about it. I, I think it was an, an important move for him. I think he needed to leave Leipzig in order to play consistently ahead of the World Cup. I think he will be given every chance to be the starter at Leeds, replace uh, Calvin Phillips and 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 play for Jesse Marsh, who knows that he knows the system, trusts him, a long relationship going back to when Tyler Adams was 15 years old. Um, I I worry a little bit in that Tyler Adams, the, the part of his game he needs to work on the most is distribution, his on-the-ball abilities. There's yeah. not a lot of that that happens in the Red Bull system that Jesse Marsh prefers. Um, and so for, for the national team perspective – I think that this isn't the most perfect move for him, but I think, you know, as I was going over your notes from an inter- from a story you did last year that everyone should go and read when, when Tyler was preparing to play under Tyler, uh, under Jesse Marsh at Leipzig Tyler under Tyler. and um, going through your notes that didn't go in that story, uh, conducting some interviews for a piece that, that we're working on with Phil Hay, uh, our lead United reporter Tyler Adams is an incredibly driven person. He is very, always has been mature beyond his years, always has, has been a self-driven individual who, who recognizes where his flaws are, gets very frustrated when he doesn't perform up to his own standards. And so I think moving to the Premier League and being given this motivation of one, not ending in the right note at Leipzig, but now taking a step up to a, uh, a bigger stage in terms of kind of league popularity in this country and, and kind of the aura that exists around the premier league and a better standard, I think across the league than you yeah. in Germany. I, I think, I think that I believe that Tyler will get the most out of this move. And, and so maybe it's not the best place for him to work on his ball progression, but I think that he can improve as a player. And I think he will improve as a player with this move. I don't even really agree with that part that you said it's not the best place for him to work on that. Because, all right, let's think about it. Let's say he was linked to Arsenal last summer. Let's say he went to Arsenal. Like, he's not going to play there because he's not good enough with his feet to play there right now. He's going to play at Leeds. And, like, how do you get better at passing? How do you get better at ball progression? Be on the field. And I think Jesse Marsh will ask him to do that. Jesse Marsh was looking for him to do more of that at Leipzig when they, that, when that they were together there. Stand out that you said when they me, were yeah. together there last year. So I think he'll have the opportunity to, to improve at that at Leeds. He's got big shoes to fill if he does get on the field because he's got competition. They've made other signings in the midfield there this summer as well. Um, he's got big shoes to fill with Calvin Phillips going out. Um, fantastic player and somebody that Adams will probably see on the other side of the field in Qatar at the World Cup. 
but I thought this was interesting, Paul. I, I just pulled up that story that you just mentioned that I wrote on Tyler Adams last summer. And, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, like, what's your future hold? What do you want? Like, do you think you'll leave Leipzig ever? And he gave a quote. He said, what clubs can you go to and be a step above? In my head, there's only like eight teams in the world, and those are the only ones that I would ever really consider. The ones that are constantly playing in Champions League. Top four in England, maybe. Top two in Spain. Maybe one or two in Italy if you want to go there. That's where it becomes tough, you know? I don't know what the next step it is, is for me in my career, but I think the most important thing is when I feel like I can't get any better at Leipzig, then I'll feel like it'll be time. Obviously, he didn't end up at a top four team in England. He ended up at a team that's barely survived being relegated <laughs> last season in England. So that sort of puts into perspective what last season was like for Adams um, and kind of how he his standing fell a little bit. Uh, or not a little bit, quite a bit. Um, but there's also big opportunity here. Leeds is a, it's a big club. It's a well-supported club, hugely popular. Uh, and it is a familiar environment for him. And I think that will be important. It's a staff that he knows, it's a staff that he trusts. Him and Jesse Marsh have a very tight relationship. I think it'll help to have Brendan Aronson there. Uh, they have some other signings from the Red Bull family as well. Obviously, the style of play is something he's used to. So I think this is a good landing for him. Uh, I'm curious to see how he does. I think style of play in England kind of suits him. Uh, fast, up and down. Leads certainly play that way. Uh, and I think he's got every opportunity to kind of get a good reset, get out of Red Bull, and and try and progress. So we'll see. Yes. I think this is good for him. I think it's good for the national team. I think he will. Like I said, I think he will get better. I I do think he will thrive in the the, the league. I do think, you know, his his defensive ability is world class, and and that will stand out for a team like Leeds that's going to be fighting for every result and that struggled defensively last season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and look at the World Cup. The U.S. U.S. national team has changed the way that it, they build to take a little bit of that responsibility away from Tyler Adams, and you know I think that also will showcase more of his strengths. And and I think we saw when when Greg Berhalter made that tweet that it actually made the U.S. team better in a lot of different places and kind of how it shifted the positioning. So I don't think this was just about Tyler Adams. I I just think um, again I, I think there was you come to a point right where you're either not getting better there anymore because you've hit your ceiling, which is what happened with Tyler and MLS and you needed a higher level or you're not getting better there anymore because you, you, you're out of favor and yeah. you have to move. And that, and it's a, it's a bit of a different move now for Tyler and how he responds to it is, is going to be a big part of this. But I, I think again, reading your piece, going through the interviews with different people, it, having spoken to Tyler, going back to when he got called in by Dave Sarakin um, I spoke to him in a, uh, ahead of a friendly in Belgium. I mean, he, he just comes across as a, a very certain type of personality where that motivation side of it, you're, I'm never, I've never been worried about that with Tyler Adams. No. I think that's probably one of the most present things you get from Tyler when you talk to yeah. him. Um, so it'll, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this Leeds team for American soccer fans. Yeah. Um, Got to sign I'm, up for I'm, Peacock, huh, Paul? Yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm writing a story about it. I've, the fact that there are five, people prominently in this team who came out of major league soccer, like you said, Chris Armis and Jesse Marsh Adams, uh, Aronson and Jack Harrison it is, is pretty neat. I don't think we've seen a collection of players like this together since full America, uh, the Fulham teams, you full go back America. 
2007, they had four Americans. That on, was on my the team roster. back in the day, Paul. Yeah, it was I don't everyone's know if I've team ever pretty much. Like Americans like loved Fulham, you know? I remember, remember watching. Jimmy Bullard? You remember him? <laughs> no, I'm not going to go that deep into that. Breda Hangeland? You remember him? I Aaron, yeah. yeah, I mean, these guys, man. Paul Koncheski. This was my squad. This was like my first Premier League team that I really, really followed. I think it was. I think it was an introduction for a lot of us to to kind of regular Premier League football. Um, football. So it'll be very interesting to uh, to watch how this all works out. Um, another move in England, Sam. Wait, uh, Paul. Paul, I have a question for you. Two questions, and and one of them will be what you're what you were about to talk about. First, how many millions of dollars would you have bet at this time last year that Tyler Adams would have been? or that Brendan Aronson would have been a less expensive transfer than Tyler Adams. Um, and then what do you make of Zach Steffen possibly looking like he's on the way to Middlesbrough from Manchester city? Well, I think Brendan Aronson's development has been incredible. I would have put like, a lot of money, a lot of money on Tyler Adams being a yeah, $30 million. That's wild. I mean, well, it's both, right? It was both things. Aronson was doing this both and had Tyler to happen. went down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Both had to happen, but it's crazy that, Adams was less expensive than Aronson. If you would have told us that a year ago, I think we both would have slapped you in the face. What's crazy also, Sam, is watching, and you don't know this because you were on vacation, but Pat Aronson was incredible for the 20 team, Parenson. scoring goals in every game. And just feel like he has like this similar trajectory to his brother. Where Everyone says he's better, better than Brendan. He's seizing these moments. The way that, that Jim Curtin talked about Brendan Aronson getting better and, and grabbing those challenges and, and, and improving rapidly, you know, it, I feel like we're watching it again with Paxton Aronson. And, um, yeah, man, good good player. Very productive for the U-20s. I'm interested to see what he what he yeah. looks like coming back into MLS. And, and The U.S. qualified for the that. Olympics, by the way. They did, finally. Feels, feels like we should give that more than a passing mention, but maybe another time. Zach Steffen, looks like he's leaving Manchester City on the way to Middlesbrough. Him and Matt Turner are basically trading places. Stefan look potentially will be playing for a worse team and Turner will potentially be backing up at a better team, which is a role reversal from what they were throughout qualifying. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see all the people who are on one side of that debate or the other and how they handle this because now they're advocating for whatever thing they were. Fighting all right. Against so let's, before. let's do it. I was, I was very much the, you should play the guy who's playing camp, but unless something changes, unless Stefan gets on a roll, like right now I'm still in the Turner Turner camp. What about you? I I mean you you knocked me for this. I think Turner actually is going to have a chance to win the job. I think I think I Turner you for that. Yeah, you were like no, he's not going to start. I'm like he when could When did start. I say that? I don't know. We talk every day before You're vacation. making stuff up, I think. I'm I'm absolutely not. I I I'm I'm just saying it'll be tough to do it before the World Cup, but I'm going to give Turner a chance to to win the starting job. I am. What do you what do you mean it'll be tough to He's the number 1 right now. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about at Arsenal. Oh, oh, okay. All right. This is what I'm talking this about. Makes so a now lot you remember knocking me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Get get Still out of the vacation. Back in the swing, folks. Yeah. Thank you. Although you were a little unclear, to be fair. All right. Well, it's my fault. But yeah, anyways, is. everything is your. Fault. I I'm giving Turner a chance to win the job. Is what I'm saying. I I, I have that much faith in him. All right. Um, but and I I'm interested if this move with Stefan to Middlesbrough happens and is officially announced. I don't think it's been officially announced yet, um, but it seems like it's done. You know how are they going to play? I go back to those quotes from Matt Turner. You know, feeling like when he was with the national team, he improved with the ball at his feet 
And then he'd go back to New England and they didn't want to do that at all. And he was just hitting these long balls constantly. And he felt he was losing what he was getting done with the national team camp. Like, is it going to be the same for Stefan? You know, at Man City, they're asked to play with the ball at their feet. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see that with Millsboro in the championship. So playing will be better for Zach Stefan. No, no doubt about that. Getting consistent minutes. But will it allow him to, to grow the gap of playing with the ball at his feet? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know how much of that's going to be happening. Will so, it allow him to narrow the gap in terms of shot stopping? Maybe. Maybe. I, we don't know. We'll it, see what the future it is, <laughs> it is not a move we anticipated, and so it's a big question mark for me. Again, it's not a bad thing for Zach Steffen to be playing every week, and there's a lot no. of games in the championship. So he's not going to be rusty, but I do agree, and we both agreed on this, that, that Matt Turner passed him when Stefan missed this last camp. And I, I think Matt Turner right now is the number one. And I think that Zach Steffen would have to come into the September window, get a start in one of those games or both, and really show out to get the number one job back. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm biased because I have a really good friend who's a big, big, big Arsenal fan who follows them very closely, um, has a, a history working in soccer, and he feels like there is actually an opening Um for Turner to potentially win a job. So right. I, that's, I'm, I'm completely, completely going off of something that, you know, it's not like I interviewing people at Arsenal who on background are saying like, Oh, Turner has a chance, but I just, it's, it's changed my mindset going in. I'd like to see how he, he starts off in London. Ethan Horvath as well, recently being loaned from Nottingham Forest to Luton town in the English championship. Luton town made the championship playoff last year. They lost in the semifinals. Nottingham Forest, of course, won the championship playoff to get promoted to the Premier League. So we'll see. It looks like he's going to be getting some playing time as well. So the goalkeeping battle is shifting. It's changing. Paul, should we take a quick break and then come back with questions in, in our final segment? I think I think it makes sense to do that. What about you? Well, you're a little rusty, host. though. You're okay. the host. I'm just asking for help. Just one, one. No, I'm kidding. All right, we'll take a break. Stay with us. Listener questions after the break. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, we've already addressed this question, but I'm just going to address it off the top anyway. David Wright asks if I listened to Allocation Disorder in Hammock. I, I already answered that. I did not. There were no hammocks. But I just want to sort of emphasize, Paul Tenorio is obsessed with hammocks. I don't know what's going on, but this man <laughs> loves hammocks, which are inferior beach chairs to actual beach chairs. Beach chairs are just better. Hammocks are cumbersome and weird, and maybe you'll fall out of them. And you can never really get fully comfortable. Paul, uh, defend uh, hammocks. I- 
I dispute that you can never get fully comfortable. You can absolutely get fully right, comfortable fine. in a hammock. I'll concede uh, that. You get even more comfortable when you're watching MLS live in a hammock. Let me tell you. <laughs> There's nothing more comfortable than that. You're right. Oh, my God. Sam, right. you didn't – you know what I, I do want to say? I, I want to credit – uh, your Twitter followers for immediately recognizing when you tweeted that you were going on vacation and signing off completely from Twitter by responding with tweets saying, oh, I'm sure absolutely no news is going to break while no you're news. gone. And, you know, obviously the bail signing happened like two days after you we completely had signed off. news. Yeah, it was a lot. But, um, but it was basically your fault is what I'm trying to say. All right. Well, um, all right. Let's jump into this Q&A. I am going to start with a question that I thought was very Interesting, but also funny to me a little bit because I think this show, you know, gets very angry about it all the time. Alex Maurer asked, how big of a factor is location when trying to sign players? For example, there's no way Bale ever goes to Salt Lake City for a TAM deal. So LAFC is essentially getting a discount. How can small market teams make up that gap and cap the discount big markets get on signing big names? Well, it's called Major League Soccer's roster rules and regulations. <laughs> that, that's how. Are you answering? Cap. Are you answering the question? I am answering the question because I just want to say that is MLS. <laughs> Their entire design is to cap the discount big markets get on signing big names. That the whole rule book does that. Yeah, that's all. There's not okay. like a, a a method to it. It's just yeah. the existence of the league as it's designed. I'll answer the first question. How big of a factor is location when trying to sign players? Yeah, it's big. You're right, Alex Maurer, that Bale would, would not go to Salt Lake City for a TAM deal or a DP deal, I would I would wager. Um, so yeah, that plays a huge role, just like it does in any other sport with free agents or, or, or different targets. Um, that's unfortunate for the teams in places that don't have that advantage. They just kind of have to come up with other ways to kind of get around it. And we've talked about those on this show a lot, whether it's Academy, whether it's trying to use allocation money like a transfer fund within the league, um, whatever it might be, you have to lean into a lane and you kind of got to go for it. And that lane isn't going to be signing Giorgio Chiellini or Gareth Bale or Lorenzo Insigne. Like that's just not something that's going to be available to some of the teams in MLS. But you don't have to do that to have success with foreign signings. And I think I'll, no. I'll, I'll point to two small market teams, quote unquote, smaller market teams who found players who fell in love with those markets, became synonymous with those markets. Diego Valeri mm-hmm. in Portland, Javi Morales in Salt Lake City. You yeah. can still find really good players who fall in love with those markets in those cities. Ha- Hani Mukhtar in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, those players can become a big part of that identity of those towns and, and be really, really fruitful, successful players in those markets. So you have to shop differently for sure. You're already, you know, in a, in a different bin of players, but you can find really good players in that bin. And I think Salt Lake city RSL has done that historically. Um, And, and certainly Portland and Valeria is maybe the best and most prominent example of that in recent league history, though. I think Javi Mo in Salt Lake is a pretty darn good one as well. Speaking of Javi Mo, um, he could be a candidate for this question, which is from David, another David, a lot of Davids today, at Superhero Deuce on Twitter. Which current or former MLS players do you believe would have thrived in a top five European league but never made the move? They don't necessarily have to be American, but personally, I'm thinking of Eddie Pope. I think that's a good shout from David. Paul, you have any candidates for this question? I think this is a kind of a fun one. Well, I was going to say Marco Echeverri, but he did go to Spain for one season. It didn't work out great for him. He only played in 15 games. He came right back over to South America after that. 
Um, I think Eddie Pope is a great one. Um, you know, an all-time great MLS player. I think another one I would have been interested in is Taylor Twellman. Um, you know, he had he a was in moves. Germany. Yeah, but started like, his career. There, he started his career there, but tech. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. See, like both of the guys I thought of spent a little bit of time there, but Twellman, you know, after becoming established player in MLS, you know, had a couple moves scuttled by by the Revs to go to Europe to go to England. I would have liked to see him when he was in that prime of his career scoring goals professionally getting another shot at it um but yeah man you you stole a really good one with eddie pope i don't think um you know i i think that's a pretty tough one to follow sam do you have one uh i suppose landon donovan doesn't technically count uh no, but, definitely not he went to everton too well everton was just a little baby loan i don't think that really counts. he was fun but to he, watch when he was there he was great I, and i i would have loved to see him actually play in Europe for an extended period of time beyond what beyond what he did. Of course, he had his own reasons for staying in MLS and basically helped grow the league into what it is today. So wasn't entirely a bad thing. Um, other guys, uh, Nick Ramondo, I think in all, probably the best goalkeeper in MLS history, not in terms of he's the best goalkeeper to ever play in MLS, but the best career of any goalkeeper in MLS history. Uh, I would have liked to see what he could have done over there. Same with Kyle Beckerman, for that matter. Chris um, Armis. That's that's my that's another answer. I think Chris guy, Armis would have been great. Guy who missed out on a World Cup because of injury, which helped launch Pablo Mastroeni's career. As a matter of fact, um, Carlos Valderrama played in Europe for a bit, <laughs> yeah. but it would have been fun to see him kind of do more over there as well. Oh man, I'm trying to think of any others. Wando. No, I don't. Well, actually, yeah, Wando, because those th- those attributes that he had, similar to the ones that Chicharito had, those translate, I think, in any league. Just that movement in the box. I don't know if it would have worked, but it would have been cool to to kind of give it a try and, and see if it did. I always feel like I, you know, I'll, I'll uh, I keep an eye. I, obviously, we all have people we follow on Twitter, and I see certain players signing in England who grew up in England, and. He, you you imagine if that player was American, would they have had those same opportunities? Some some of them do well, some of them don't. But I, you know, I, I could see a player like Wando if he was born in, you know, Leeds, following that path and yeah. and playing professionally and doing well there. Um, and you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just about where you're born, right? Um, yeah. So why not? Why not for Wando? Why not like Chris Armas? People people you know have, were were ripping on him when he joined the Man United staff. You're going to need more than your Alex, Alex Ferguson. You're going to need more than that, son, regarding his MLS <laughs> resume. And that's true. Fine. You're, you're at a club like Manchester United. You you are going to need more than that to get credibility at a club like that. But, you know, Chris Armas was a good player. And, you know, he did what he did really well. And I think he would have been able to do that in a, in a league overseas as well. Um, it just wasn't happening as often back yep. then, players moving. So, um, yeah, there, there are, there's a long list, David. Diego of, Chara, of, another one. Of players who could do that. A long list. Paul? All right, wanna... on to the next question. Another Andrew question. Pearson, interpersonal. It's a great Twitter that handle. That is good, yeah. Um, pundits talk a lot about spending big money on players when it comes to the ambition of MLS teams. But didn't, doesn't Inter-Miami situation show that true ambition in MLS is as much or more about signing the right front office staff than signing big money players? Uh, yes and no. It's not just about signing the right front office staff. Sorry. Are we just Your manners are terrible. I'm sorry. Sam, you go <laughs> ahead. 
My yes gosh. and no. Ooh, Sam, raised. take it away. <laughs> um, no. Uh, obviously, it's important, but you can have a great GM. I would argue that the Colorado Rapids have a very good GM, for instance. Uh, that does not make them an ambitious organization. Um, I think both things do need to go together to be the most ambitious as possible. Uh, but but no, I don't think I don't think it's more important in terms of the ambition rankings or whatever you want to call it than signing the big money players. I think that's first, um, and I think everything else is close second. But it is still second, in my opinion. You can be really ambitious and bad at it. Yeah, I, well, that's, that, what, that's what he's is. talking about. Yeah, it's not it's not about it's not about having a good front office. The ambition still has to be there. And, and you, you can you can have ambition to be bad at it, just like you can have a good GM, like you said, and be and not have any ambition. I just think like, you know, there are teams where you see you wish you could put the best GMs with the best owners and see what happens. Um, Seattle's a good example of that, of a team that's been willing to spend, though now they've dropped down the spending rankings, but you put a good GM there and, and they have success. Um, Bezbachenko in Toronto is another good example of that. So... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's important, but not as important. Uh, Paul, this is from Precky lives at where is Precky. <laughs> God, remember when that was going on? Yeah, that was a weird time. Just another one of the strange eccentric moments in American soccer history. There are many of them. Uh, do you think the big summer signings in MLS are a sign that the impact of the pending Apple deal on league wide spending will be greater than you talk about us anticipated Paul? think no i don't i think it's just um circumstantial uh the summer window is opening around the same time a tv deal is being announced um we're seeing the two of the most ambitious teams in major league soccer fulfilling that ambition lafc going lafc is only signing tam players man yeah going and getting uh bale and chiellini toronto we talked about them in the first segment enough yeah so this is just kind of par for the course um it's just all happening at once and, you know, I think it's important because, Sam, we talked about this at the beginning of the season and at the end of last season. MLS was all of a sudden lacking in, like, stars and star power mm-hmm. and players that we, that made you want to watch them. And you don't always have to be, like, a Gareth Bale name for that. Like, Joe Vinko was a was must-watch TV when he was in this league. I like to tune in to watch what he would do. Joseph Martinez, my father-in-law, who is not a soccer fan, typically he watches a little bit of MLS now um, because I cover it. Like he loves Joseph Martinez. And he, hmm. When when Atlanta United was on TV, he used to be like, "Oh, that you know that silver-haired guy." Like he's all, he always <laughs> asked me about him, you know, because he was a guy that when you watched him, Joseph Martinez, like, the silver fox, is that yeah, what I'm calling when, him now? Yeah, when you watched him, he did things that were like that made you go, "Oh, oh wow," you know. Almi Rome yeah. was the same way. So um, I thought I thought the league was lacking in that, and I think we're seeing just happens to be all at once that a bunch of kind of big name players are coming in and hopefully a couple of them become guys that you tune in to want to see how they do. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I would also note that a lot of these deals were either completed in the case of Insigne um, or Hector Herrera bef- well before the TV deal was announced. Um, and I would imagine that most of them were at least in discussions before said TV deal was announced. Um, they're also mostly being done by teams that spent money prior to the TV deal being announced. So yeah, I don't think this is going to have much of an impact on league wide spending sort of as we've talked about in the past. All right. This next question is perfect for me to get out of my uh, habit of both asking and answering the question. (laughs) Uh, Our friend Tom Bogert 
Walk us through, Sam, your internal dialogue and mm. struggle when re-downloading Twitter or opening it for the first time after vacation. And, and, and I, before you get to it, yeah. I do want to say, like, I'm, I'm with Tom here in that I think there was a real missed content moment of, like, similar to, like, uh, those YouTube unboxing channels of, like, you... <laughs> opening twitter for the first time after being i don't think it would have been particularly <laughs> compelling video I, I hear where you're coming from though if, if i could somehow broadcast my own internal thoughts then yeah that would have been good content but i don't think that's possible um i certainly wouldn't want to do that uh yeah I, it was terrible just awful i i was filled with existential dread uh a lot of questions about what i've chosen to do with my life and how much time it requires me to spend on twitter um and then i was like you know what Spend less time on Twitter, Sam. You don't need to be on this website. You don't always have to have the tab open. You don't. Um, so I'm trying to be better about that and actually allow my my brain some room to breathe. Maybe think of a creative thought here or there. Actually, just just think, period, instead of constantly have a flow of, of, of information and constantly be scrolling. So I'm trying to be on Twitter less. That's, that's sort of the internal dialogue. I don't have the app. Um, I don't have it on my phone and I haven't for a long time because I'm addicted to it and it's bad. So I'm trying to limit my consumption as much as possible. Um, I don't know if anyone cares about that, but there you go. Uh, this is from Ben Wright, who does an, a nice job of, of covering Nashville SC. If you guys aren't following him and you want to know about things that are going on in Nashville, I would encourage you to give him a follow at Ben Wright. Paul, which team outside of the major markets, which he defines as LA, New York, although I can't really can't really count the Red Bulls in that mix. Uh, Miami, Toronto, et cetera, will make the most waves in this transfer window. Seem outside of the major markets yeah. is oh I I it's hard because the ones he lists, he he does have an et cetera there. Like, do you count DC United? No. Like okay. They have two DP spots open. And so I could see them being a team that that makes a couple splashes here in this window, at least DC level splashes, and and does some interesting stuff. They they need to to overwork their roster pretty badly, and rework their roster pretty badly. They have, like I said, two DP spots open. Um, they have some money from the sale of Flores. So I I think out of the smaller market teams that they could be the most interesting. Um, Sporting Kansas City, maybe because they are in a little bit of desperation mode, but they don't have room. They, have, they room. have DPs yeah. who are injured. So that to me keeps them out of this conversation. So I, I, I'm going to say DC United. Do you have, do you have another answer, Sam? Uh, might Charlotte try and make a big swing in the summer window, get them up the standings. Perhaps there's something cooking there. Uh, other than that, man, I don't know. I don't see Dallas doing anything huge. Galaxy? Galaxy is a big market team. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Part the other one I would say is maybe Houston. They have another DP spot open. You know, could they go for a big name player? Could they go for a, a Linez on loan or something like that? Um, he's a player who needs minutes before the World Cup. I, I, you know, I could see them being a team that takes a swing. They certainly have been taking swings with the new ownership group coming in. Um, but yeah, those are the two that come to mind for me, DC and Houston. Yeah, I, I would sort of agree with those. Columbus, we already saw kind of make their big swings. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so that's one there. Uh, when this is an interesting one from Soccer Thoughts 
at underscore soccer thoughts. Really creative. When is Vegas expansion going to be? That was mean. I didn't mean to, for that to come across <laughs> like that. When is Vegas expansion going to be announced? It feels like it's been an open secret for a while, but nothing official. Paul, tell us, please. When are you going to announce the Las Vegas expansion team? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when they're going to announce it. I, I think you and I have both heard whispers that there are other markets still trying to very much stay in the picture for potentially for coming in at team number 30. So we we you know we also were told that Vegas was basically a done deal. Um, if I had to make a prediction, I, I guess I would say not until the end of the season. And, and that maybe something would happen at that point. Certainly, I think... Um, you know, we might find out more as we do reporting more and more and more reporting on this TV deal because I'm sure Apple has a pretty good idea of what MLS's intentions are um, in the next few years with expansion. But, you know, I, I don't it doesn't feel like it's going to be happening this summer, um, but I, I could see it maybe at the end of the year. I would say the only chance it happens this summer, these things have to be approved by the MLS Board of Governors, which I would guess the next meeting for them would be at the All-Star Game. I don't know that for certain, but that's what I would guess. So the All-Star Games in a month in Minnesota. So maybe you could see some movement after that. Um, there has been some smoke in public about San Diego getting back in the mix with the stadium that's that's being built by San Diego State University. So maybe that's an option. Um, the thing I think here that's interesting to think about, Paul, Charlotte came in and they cut the line for a $325 million expansion fee. And the fact that they paid so much was the reason that, that they were allowed to cut the line. But MLS can't really, they're not going to want to go backwards from that 325 or 300 to 325, depending on certain things. So if they're asking for 350 or 400 and you're a prospective ownership group, maybe are you balking at that and you're trying to negotiate it down? Yeah, you are. And especially and may- because- maybe is that part of the reason for the delay here? Cause Don Garber said earlier this year that, you know, ex- expected a decision on Vegas before the end of April. Yeah. I mean, I think that and the TV deal. I think if you're if you're going to make an offer, you want to see what that TV deal looks like. Now you have right. all the information. So and, and does that TV deal like do enough? Is that worth four hundred million bucks? I mean, these aren't short term investments. These are fifty year time horizons they're thinking about. Right. But but that that's ten years of that fifty. That's twenty percent of that horizon where you're saying, okay, all I'm going to be getting is X amount per year, right? Yeah. So um, certainly, I think you're you're trying to you know, you're trying to negotiate that down. All right. This one's from Rick Lund at Rick Lund 23. Will the performance of anyone on the U 20 team translate into more playing time with their club? Yes. Jim Curtin has said so for the 18 (laughs) Philadelphia union players that were on the USU 20 team, Paxton Harrison, Quinn Sullivan, et cetera, et cetera. They did well. Um, I believe it was a press conference earlier on Wednesday, and this is courtesy of Joe Tanzi and his Twitter feed. Um, but Curtin was asked about it, I think, like several dozen times, according to what Joe Tanzi was tweeting out. Um, he said straight up, we'll rely on them more in the second half of the season. Uh, international interest them, and this is a quote I'll just say, is going up, 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 up. That's four ups. Um, and then Curtin again, they're going to get more minutes. I can promise you that. So, yeah, I would expect those guys to to get some more playing time and potentially some others. Or that were on the twenties and did well. Yeah, I would. I mean, this isn't going to be playing time going up because he just got purchased. But I would imagine we see Diego Luna playing some pretty significant minutes for an Arsenal team that's been surprising everyone. Um, but he was one of the best players for the U.S. team, one of the best players in the tournament, and exciting. Uh, another guy who was exciting to watch. You wanted to see what he was going to do on the field. 
Um, he's somebody I would expect to see. Yeah. Um, that I would like to see more. That of. guy has some wild tattoos. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Paul, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, and this is pretty deep in the weeds. Is the agreement reached today between MLS and IMG Arena, who will provide MLS's betting and media partners with official data feeds? Thank you for including that. Uh, since underscore 2010 at no pro rel for MLS. A lot going on there. Seen as part of the media deal that the players get a part of in the CBA, it's $270 million over eight years. Will that be added to the pot? Um, and will that be included in the revenue share agreements? I, I don't know. Um, that's an interesting question. I, I would say on the surface, no. I would not imagine that it's counting towards the media rights. Um, but I would imagine that the MLS PA would love to count it as part of their media rights. It seems like <laughs> I'm this, sure is they a, would. <laughs> this is a data deal, not a media rights deal. Yeah. And so I don't think it goes towards the MLS PA's player pot. Um, but, you know, certainly it, it has an impact. It'll be another $1 million or so per team per year. Um, not, not Again, Doesn't nothing hurt. earth shattering, but these are deals that are important for the league as they continue to find partners to... Yeah give them money. Um, and this is an important area for the league's growth. Betting is, is going to be a big part of every sport. Um, as we see the sports betting landscape shift, you know, pretty significantly, uh, in this country. Um, so it's, it was an important deal for major league soccer. Um, okay. PJ Dino at persistent pod asks, can you explain homegrown territories? No. Is there a map somewhere fans can see and understand the territories? Sam? Um, there, there, there used to be a map. It yeah. was like 2017, so it's by no means even close to current. Um, but there used to be a map. Basically, every team has a radius around their home stadium that is their homegrown territory. At least the bigger market teams, they have a radius. It's typically 75 miles. The smaller market teams are just given states, so it's less of a radius and more of a state line. Uh, for instance, Seattle, I believe, has the state of Washington and the state of Hawaii. Whereas the New York teams have a 75 mile radius around their stadiums. Um, for those who do not know, homegrown territories are the areas in which teams are able to draw from for their academies. They can also sign, or not sign, but get players into the academy from other territories or from no territories because a lot of these territories are not assigned. States like, you know, uh, I don't even know, it used to be North Carolina. That was kind of a hotbed, right? They didn't before Charlotte came in. Las Vegas, not assigned to anybody. Any team can go in there, get any player. I think those rules are actually going to be changing from what I've been heard. It's one of the more contentious issues, and there's been proposals left and right about changing it, how to change it, protected lists, all sorts of different yeah. stuff. Um, nothing done yet. Uh, Maybe as we should make a couple oh. days ago. What was that? Maybe we should make a map. Yeah, we can make a map. I like that. Um, and yeah, we'll see. I It's my number one thing that I'd like to eliminate for Major League Soccer. That's your number papers. one? Yeah, it is. Priorities out of whack. Um, okay, this is it, Sam. We're ending it here. At Double Deuce asks... <laughs> Ending with a spicy one. <laughs> it's a very spicy one. How much longer can Sporting Casey endure the coaching failures of Peter wow. Vermees? I think a lot longer. If you're talking about Sporting <laughs> Kansas City ownership. Um, I, I don't think Peter Vermees is on any kind of hot seat. I'll put it like that. Um, Should he be, Sam? No. Um, what? I mean, he's been there. He took over what year? Was it 2011? It's been a long time. 2009. I want to say like 2009. 
yeah. mid 2009 and they've made the playoffs almost every single year since then they are in last place in the entire league right now so it's obviously not going well for them this season uh they did make the conference semifinals last year uh i believe they were their number one seed in the western conference last year my memory serves that feels like a lifetime ago but they the also had multiple dps go down with season ending injuries yeah so they've been They've had some tough breaks this year. You know, I think it's fair to say as well that the window has closed on that core, and he probably leaned on that a little too hard over the years um, and maybe stuck with them a little bit too long. That being said, you know, you talk about Toronto FC earlier in the show and how they're getting some benefits out of playing young guys this year. I think Kansas City is is on the same path. Um, they'll have some work to do this winter for sure, but I don't think Vermees is going anywhere i think i would like to see some extra infrastructure and support given to vermes in the front office in particular brian bliss is there but maybe build out scouting staff a little bit more data department what have you and allow them to do their jobs a little bit better give them more tools uh but yeah i don't think vermes is going anywhere do you, do you read the situation any differently lyle is digging a hole in my floor yeah, if you I can hear, hear lyle that. i hear lyle he waited to the end of the show credit to lyle um, yeah, no, they, they, they usually do spend pretty aggressively in, in other areas, sports science and such. Megan Cameron was there for a long time. She left to go to Miami, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would expect them to rebound. I agree that, you know, Peter Vermees tried to push that core year, maybe two years too long. You can't really say two years because they finished first place last year. Um, but I, I think he understands that that there's some rebuilding that needs to happen in, in the next couple windows. And I think, again, this window, they're limited because they had injuries and they're, they look like they're probably up against the cap. But I would expect to see some change to that side. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, knowing his relationship with ownership, knowing how influential he's been in things like building the training facility, building the stadium, um, the overall vision of what Sporting Kansas City was going to be, how they recruited homegrown players like John Luca Busio to Kansas City when they don't have a great homegrown territory. He's been, he, he is as much about who Sporting Kansas City is as anything else, and yeah. maybe in the league. That that being said, he has had issues over the years, and, and and specifically with kind of relying too much on the veterans and maybe running them into the ground. Sporting has been a first half team. And they've struggled down the stretch in many of the seasons, even before this core started really aging. It's been so, about the playoffs too, right? They've they've never mm -hmm. really they've had teams that have been very good in the regular season and then been upset in the playoffs. So they, I think they they lost in the first round. Like was it like five straight years or something like that? Yeah. So um, it's you know th there are some adjustments that need to be made there, and I'm curious to see what they look like next year because I think this off season will be one of some pretty intense soul searching and rebuilding first sporting kansas city well with that sam i'll wrap up the show because i'm yeah. apparently hosting and giving That's you right. letting you transition in from vacation we're mm -hmm. glad to have you back sam yeah um and you know i'm sure that you know in the next few days you might get an amazon box delivered to you with uh, with an indoor hammock uh from which wow. you can host next week's show i'm just kidding i'm not sending <laughs> you a hammock um but you know no more hammock blasphemy on this show uh, as for everyone else, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> We've been Allocation Disorder. We'll see you next week.